0: Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers 20, our study through the Old Testament. If you're listening for the first time, uh, understand that on Wednesdays, we go through the Old Testament. And then on Sundays, we go through the New Testament. Uh, And we just go systematically through the Bible, verse by verse, line upon line, and precept upon precept. We study uh, the Word of God, the old interpreting new, new interpreting old. Very, very, very rarely will we have um, um, a topical message. Very rarely. But it does happen every once in a blue moon. Um, Something A little update I have. Last week, we studied the red heifer in Numbers 19 and have a little update on the red heifers that they have in Israel or that they're raising in Israel, but then they're also being raised in undisclosed locations in other locales across the globe. The reason why is because uh, 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 some of the Orthodox, like the Kohanim, um, the Levitical priesthood. Um, I mean, you have like families, that, you know, like the Cohens, uh, Levine. I mean, these are all like families that historically have the, the lineage through the ages are the Kohanim and and the Levitical priesthood. Um, that's in the descendants of there's more but those are the the biggies those are the the main ones but they're very very secretive because what happens is there's a lot of groups uh anti-jewish groups anti-zionists they they do things they do bad things they do very very bad things and so everything they do is very very secretive so a little update i have they have Uh, 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 several little baby red heifers uh, without blemish. But there are two that have been raised in a just in accordance to the law. There are two that were raised, but they found a couple white hairs on them. Uh, So they're under the age ready for ceremonial sacrifice. uh, But they found some hairs on there. They're waiting for their they're just waiting things out to see if possibly those hairs might uh uh, change back or uh but it's uh it's there's more in the works so those the the ones that are of age right now they are looking like probably disqualified but they're waiting things out just to see how how things pan out and so that's a pretty pretty new update so um a little bit more time you know the the, um The Lord's going to tarry a little bit longer, so we'll see how things pan out. But I just wanted to give an update since it's kind of fresh. We just studied this last week in Numbers 19, but they have some more uh, uh, baby ones and they're continuing to bioengineer these red heifers. So uh, just keep that in mind because, you know, one day, one day things things are going to move pretty quickly. Things are going to move pretty quickly right now. What's happening in the uh, is the, the 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 peace agreement, the the Abraham Accords. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu says there's already four other nations that are going to join the accords, uh, the quartet. Uh, they are uh, um, they are advancing peace between Israel and the Palestinians, the peace peace treaty. Uh, and now China is coming into play. China stepping in and being invited to join at the table, uh, being invited to a broker piece. So there's a lot of things happening. Now, once this piece happens, we're not going to know for sure if this is like the beginning of the final seven years. We're not going to know for sure until the middle of the 70th week. Okay. That's when we're, I mean, we'll have an idea like, Hey, this, this, we might be entering, this might be the beginning of the 70th week. This might, we might be entering the 70th week of Daniel. Um, but we're not going to know for certain we're going to have to do a look-back period and that look-back period is three and a half years the the ultimate signal is going to be the third temple and the antichrist is going to cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease as in accordance with the word says and prophets bible prophecy and once that happens we're going to know okay the 70th we're in we're we're nearing the midpoint or we're at the midpoint of the 70th week now when he when he when, when he, the the abomination of desolation that's the exact midpoint of the fi- of the of the of the seven year period okay now if if you're a, a, a pre tribulation rapture if if that's what you align to i don't adhere to that i used to but i don't align to that anymore i don't adhere to that anymore and i know that comes as a shocker because everybody's a pre everybody believes in a pre tribulation rapture not everybody but it's the dominating theory. But if that's you, listen to our message about when is the rapture. You have to scroll for a little bit, but it's called When is the Rapture. And you listen, it's, it's, it, 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 it we, we, and you have to have your Bible. You, you must, must, must have your Bible with you because, you know, we look at the pages, we turn the pages, we look at the scripture and see what the Bible says. Okay? Not what the movies say, not what the uh, New York Times bestseller people say, not what uh, uh, seminaries say, not what they teach out of seminary, uh, but what the Bible says, okay? And so you'll understand what you listen. So if you're, if you're into pre-tribulation rapture theory, uh, listen to that message and, and, and you'll understand it kind of a little bit better. And so I don't adhere to pre-tribulation rapture now. If you're pre-tribulation rapture, you know, I don't say, you know, you, you're still my brother. You're still my sister. Okay. I'm not, I'm not like overly dogmatic to the point where I break fellowship. Uh, but just so you know, from the pre-tribulation rapture people, I've been told that I'm going to burn in hell. So that's that's on them. You know, so, you know, I, I don't, I don't cause, uh, you know, they, everybody says, oh, it's a non-essential. It's a non-essential. And I'm kind of in that camp where it's a non-essential now. But once the 70th week happens, once it starts, it's no longer non-essential. It will be very essential. Because don't forget, the great falling away, it's also prophesied. It will come to pass. The great falling away will come to pass. Okay? So, that's a little update on where things are at. But uh, Numbers chapter 20. Open up your Bibles to Numbers chapter 20, if you will, pretty please. And here we are in Numbers 20, verse 1. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. Now, you see here, they're they're, they're not starting an 11-day journey anymore. Now they're beginning a 40-year journey as a result of their fear. Remember what when we studied a couple weeks ago? The fear when they were uh, uh, to, to go into the land of Cain, scope out the land, kind of like their recon team? To go and scope out the land of Canaan. And they were freaked out because they were big guys. I mean, giants. And, you know, uh, 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 they came back report and reported. They says, hey, we're not going to go. We're freaked out. And what happened is that fear became endemic in the camp. That fear became. Except with Moses. Except with Aaron. Except with Caleb. And except with Joshua. You know, there might have been more, but, you know, those are those are the four names that were, it's like, you know, they were on fire for the Lord. You know, Caleb, Joshua, you know, the Lord has called us here. You know, if they're giants, so be it. The Lord has called us. We got to go. But no, because the majority, because in the camp that there was fear in the camp, all of a sudden, you know, there was judgment. Judgment in the camp of Israel. Because we're told to fear the Lord and fear him. And so look what happens here. So they begin their journey, except they begin their 40-year journey. And so it says here in verse 20, or in chapter 20, verse 1, it says, and the people stayed in Kadesh, K- Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. So now, you know, the sister of Moses and Aaron, Miriam, she's dead now. It's very interesting when we consider Miriam, and remember we studied her leprosy a couple of weeks ago in chapter twelve. She was an older lady; she wasn't like you know a, 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 a young gal. She was an older gal, on the you know older end of the spectrum. And what I love about that is that even in her old age, she was still not without chastisement from the Lord. Because remember, she was her and Aaron were corrected by the Lord. You see, remember, the Lord made her a leper, and she had to wait a period of time in accordance to the law, in accordance with the ordinances and the statutes. She had to wait for a period of time to be clean again and join in the camp, and now she's joined in the camp. She's an older gal, and now she's she's dead. She's an older lady. But I think it's so beautiful that she herself is not without chastisement. Very interesting when, you know, we study about in our study on Sunday in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, you know, heavy, heavy emphasis on, you know, uh, babiness and heavy, heavy, heavy emphasis on, you know, maturing in Christ. But even with maturity in Christ is still uh, not without chastisement as you grow, as you mature in Christ. Yes, it's beautiful. But even still, not without chastisement, because you know what? Even mature people make mistakes. Young people make mistakes. Babies make mistakes. You know, toddlers make mistakes. Uh, Pre-teen make mistakes. Teenagers make mistakes. And I thought when I was a kid, I thought, okay, I'm entering adulthood. And wow, look, everybody's got their, you know, everything's got their their stuff together. You know, everybody's got everything in nice working order. But I was appalled. I was appalled when I became an adult because, I, you know, like, wow, there's like adults that are like babies, adults that are like children. And even as an adult, I was still not without chastisement. And even still, I am not without chastisement. And even still, you are not without chastisement. And how beautiful it is, because remember, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. He chastises those whom he loves. The Bible says, if you are without chastisement, you are illegitimate. You know how that translates? If you are without chastisement, you are a bastard. That's how it translates. It's the word of God. I'm just a messenger. That's how it translates. If if you are without chastisement, you're a bastard. I don't want to be a bastard. I don't want you to be a bastard. I used to have a hard time saying that. Like, oh, I, I can't say that. You know, we're in Bible study. I can't say that anymore. Then you just get a different translation. <laughs> get different translation. It's like, okay, I don't want to be a bastard. I don't want you to be a bastard. You know, illegitimate children. I don't want that said of any of us. You or me. And so we're in the same boat. Miriam in the same boat, not without chastisement. The people were chastised. Miriam was chastised. And so we see what happens here in verse 2. Now there was no water for the congregation. Notice they're in Kadesh and they're thirsty now. So they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. Are you serious? Are you serious? I mean, you read this and it's like after all we've studied, all the murmuring and complaining that we studied. They're thirsty. There's no water to drink. They get thirsty. And then they begin to murmur and complain against Moses and Aaron. And you read that and you're like, oh my goodness, come on now. Come on now. Is this really happening? Is this really happening, Israel? Now, as much as I say that, understand too that the same could be said of us. The same could be said of us. What happens when we murmur and complain? You see, me personally, you know, the Lord has a sense of humor because I don't like drama. I really, really, really don't like drama. And, you know, I think it's kind of funny. Well, now I think it's funny. But the Lord says, "Okay, you don't like drama, you know, have fun. I'm calling you to be a pastor. I'm calling you to teach the Bible. And there's a lot of drama in church. You see, the Lord has a sense of humor. You know those those things that are issues and problematic inside of you He'll give you more of that in order to teach you in order to show you and teach you and show you that his way is better than your way His way is better than my way It's almost like a form of humbling a form of being humbled by the Lord You see Oh, I don't like drama. I don't like drama. Okay, here's your drama. You see? That's how the Lord works. Old Testament and New Testament, that's how He works. And so we see this here. As much as we see this like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that Israel, they're more murmuring and complaining after everything that has happened, after the chastisement that they were under, after the judgment that they were after the death that occurred, and still murmuring and complaining. But cannot the same be said of us? After all the Lord has done, after everything He's done, sometimes it was, you know, 40 years ago, sometimes it was 10 years ago, sometimes it was yesterday, sometimes it was this morning. After all the Lord has done, and we're still going to murmur and complain, you see, the Lord teaches us, He shows us. And so in verse 3, and the people contended with Moses or grappled and rebuked Moses is how it translates. And spoke saying, if only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. You see, so, you know, what these past studies that we've had in previous chapters, when the brethren of Israel, when they died, it was judgment of the Lord. It was a form of judgment that the Lord, he It was like inflicted upon them as a form of chastisement, as a form of correction, as a form of division. Remember, the Lord divides. Just like we see in, you know, we make mention of that in Corinthians. That's what truth does. And so Israel, if only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. And that was a form of judgment of the Lord. And they're saying that was better. Their present state in kadesh their present state thirsty and better than that is to be dead in judgment of the lord wow that's what they were saying in verse four why have you brought us why have you brought up the assembly of the lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here i think this is very interesting because they refer to themselves as the assembly of the lord and yet, they don't like the Lord's bidding. They don't like the hand of the Lord. Look at, you know, they're saying, you know, in, in verse 3, you know, in, in acknowledgement of the judgment that the Lord, you know, in correction of Israel, and yes, there was death. People died. And they're saying, if only we had died like they, like they did, like our brethren died. Remember Korah? The sin of Korah, the uprising that was stirred by Korah, and look what happened to him. The earth opened up, women and children died, sank in those holes. And they're saying, wow, you know, that was better. If only we had died like that. And that was a form of judgment. It was the hand of the Lord, and they acknowledged themselves in verse 4 as the assembly of the Lord, and rightfully so. Rightfully so, the acknowledgement of them as, as the assembly of the Lord. Rightfully so. But yet, when it comes to his hand, when it comes to his bidding, all of a sudden, they don't like it. Does this ring a bell? It reminds me of me. It reminds me of our walk with the Lord. Because how many times, yes, I'm a Christian, I love you, Lord, and yes, we're saints, we're in the assembly of God, and praise be to the Lord, and rightfully so. But what what happens when He chastises us? What happens when He chastises you? What happens when He chastises me? When, not if the Lord, but when the Lord chastises you, you must find great comfort in it. I know I know that is counterintuitive to the flesh, to the carnal, to the dead. But I don't speak to the dead. I speak to the living. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When you're chastised by the Lord, when we are chastised by the Lord, when I am chastised by the Lord, to understand that, wait a second, the Lord is doing something and we can learn to love the chastisement. Do you know why? Because we're being trained by it. That afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. This is something that, if you grasp this in chapter 12, verse 11 of Hebrews, if you grasp this, it will, like, it will, how do I say this? It will help you in your growth and your maturity. It will, I don't want to say expedite, but in a sense, it will expedite your growth and maturity in Christ when you understand this. Because a lot of times in chastisement, when you don't understand that chastisement brings about growth in understanding deeper things of the Lord. When you don't understand that, you're on the receiving end of chastisement. And then all of a sudden, you like, we have little hissy fits because our little feelers get hurt. We have a little hissy fit. I remember one time, my dad, you know, he got really angry with me. Because, of, rightfully so, because, you know, some dumb thing that I did. I was a kid. It wasn't like recently. I was a little kid. And he, he spanked me with his belt. He spanked me with his belt. And I told him, I said, I hate you. And then I stormed off. And that's what we do with the Lord when we when we receive chastisement. Now, as I grew, as I matured, I, I, I went back to my dad and I thanked him. I said, hey, you know, pops, thanks for Discipline me like you did, as heavy as you did, because you know what? I I rolled around, I ran around with some pretty rough guys. People that got involved with juvie and the police. And I needed that. I didn't understand it at the time, but I get it now. And I thanked him. How much more our Father in heaven when he disciplines us? Are we going to storm off and say, I hate you, I don't like the chastisement. I only like the nice, comfortable verses in the Bible. Or are we going to understand, Lord, thank you. Forgive me, Lord, because I blew it. I made a mess. Forgive me, Lord, and I repent from that. I'm not going to make that mess anymore. I learned the error of my ways. And thank you, Lord, for your chastisement. Because I trust in you. More than I trust in any other thing, more than I trust in any other person, I trust in you, Lord, because I understand that your chastisement after this present pain Which isn't joyful. It's painful, Lord. After this, I understand that it brings about the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And I also understand that you're training me. You see, that's what all of our prayers can be before the Lord. Thank you, Lord. And here you see the camp of Israel. They're learning this. They're learning this the same way you and I have to learn it. And we learn from their experience, too. In what we read in Scripture, all these things written for our admonition, to show us, to teach us. And so we go back to Numbers twenty, and what do we see here? You see here, you know, it's in verse, um, four. Why have you brought us? Right? Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt? To bring us to this evil place. You see? Why have you made us come up out of Egypt? You see? It's like, you know, Moses is like, everybody blames Moses. Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron. Oh, Moses, it's your fault. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. No. This 11-day journey is turning into, not is turning into, but has turned into a 40-year journey. 11 days. 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 Turning into 40 years. It's a lot longer. And they're at the very beginning point. You see? You've made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place. Why have you done that, Moses? It is not, it is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. You see? That's what they're saying in verse 5. No grain, no figs, no vines, no pomegranates, no water to drink. You see, they acknowledge themselves as the assembly of the Lord in verse 4. But a complete and total rejection of the Lord's hand. What the Lord is doing. And they're blaming Moses and Aaron. You see? Mainly Moses. But in verse 2, they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. In verse Six, so Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly. I love this so much because what do they do? You know, the, you know. think of the sorrow, number one, the sorrow that their sister is dead now, Miriam, a death in the family. Miriam is dead. They, on the receiving end of this murmuring and complaining from the camp, from the congregation, from the assembly. And now they leave the people. And I love this so much, they leave the people. But it's not just to leave the people and go out and do your own thing, not to leave the people and go out and do whatever, it's to leave the people and have intimacy with the Lord. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Where you have all this noise around you. People saying, oh, I hate you, oh, I hate you. You're such a legalist, you're so stupid. Hey, let's go get drunk tonight. And, you know, how come you don't want to get drunk? How come you don't want to go to the strip clubs? How come you don't want to be a tax cheat? It can be favorable for you and your your taxes. How come you don't want to say these little white lies? How come you don't want to do this? Oh, you're such a legalist. You're so stupid. And you're just like, okay, no more noise. I'm going to go to my prayer closet. No more noise. Just kill the noise. Like, okay. You know, I get what you're saying. I understand where you're coming from. But you're not seeing. You don't have eyes to see let them let them you you go in your own private time your own private personal time to your private prayer closet wherever you pray it could be anywhere but you know if you have like a designated spot go or it's just you and nobody knows only your father in heaven and he sees and you seek his face That's just so beautiful about this intimacy that you see the intimacy that Moses had with the Lord by himself. And now you see Moses, he's not alone anymore. Moses and Aaron together. They go, they leave the from the presence of the assembly. And in verse six says to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You see what's happening? It's like, you know, they're with the people. The people are murmuring and complaining and they say, "Okay, we're out of here. And like we're out of here, we're going to go back to wherever, we're going to leave, we're going to walk through the wilderness. No, they make their way to the tabernacle of meeting and they fell on their faces. How beautiful is this? What we see happening here in verse 6. And they fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. You see, God was right there. As much as Moses and Aaron desire this intimacy, God desires the intimacy too. He's right there. The glory of the Lord appeared to them. You see? The same that can be said of you. You walk right before the Lord. You abide in Christ. You see, you're living peaceably with men, and the same people you love hate you. The same people you love make fun of you. At some point, you just gotta kill the noise. I mean, the noise. I'm not saying kill them. And you kill the noise. And seek the Lord, fall on your face before the Lord, and pray, and boom, he's right there. You desire intimacy with him, he desires intimacy with you. Remember, Jesus Christ says, abide in me, no period. Abide in me, and I in you. You see? Two becoming one. In verse 7, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, so he receives instruction now. Moses, this is how you have to deal with this. I'm going to give you instruction on what to do. Look at all the instructions the Lord has given Moses. All the instructions the Lord has given Aaron even. Remember, we just studied that a couple of weeks ago. Very specific instructions for Aaron. Very specific instructions for, for Moses. And for Moses, we started studying that like in, in, in Exodus. Exodus 25, 26, remember? When he was receiving the blueprints from the Lord. And here we have everything put into place. Just as the Lord said. Now he's giving further instruction in verse 8. Take the rod. You and your brother Aaron gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock. This is key. Speak to the rock. Now, in Exodus 17, verse 6, when they were also in the wilderness, and they were also thirsty, and the Lord says, Strike the rock. Strike the, the rock. Strike the rock. So that was at pre- in, in Exodus 17. You see, you know, murmuring and complaining was still happening and here it's here we are in numbers 20 and it's even still happening except in exodus 17 he said strike the rock but here he says speak to the rock in verse 8 he says speak to the rock before their eyes and it will yield its water thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation of their to the congregation and their animals that's what the lord says So, Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded them. So, everything's fine and dandy here. Everything's beautiful. You see, the obedience, you know, you see Moses and Aaron, they leave the people, fall on their faces before the Lord. They have intimacy with the Lord, intimacy. The Lord gives them instruction. And then here you see the instructions given, and then you see obedience. Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him in verse 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. You see, beautiful. Everything's just as the Lord says. And he said to them, here now, you rebels. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Moses, what's happening here? Here now, you rebels, translates as you disobedient. Here now, you disobedient people. That's how it translates. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Question mark. Now, number one, the Lord told them to do it. The Lord told Moses and Aaron, Remember verse 8? You shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. You see? Number two, we see a little bit of the murmuring and complaining, not just in the camp of Israel. You also see it in Moses. Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? And I think this is so beautiful. I mean, it's hard what, what we see transpire here. It's hard what we see, the build up and, you know, what transpires and how the murmuring and complaining, it starts to spread. Not to exclude Moses and Aaron. In verse 11, Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock. You see? disobedience you see disobedience you know why because the lord says in verse 8 speak to the rock in exodus 17 verse 6 the lord previously not now previously the lord said strike the rock but here in verse 8 of numbers 20 the lord says speak to the rock and what does moses do he strikes the rock disobedience moses That's what I love so much about, you know, you see Moses as a type of Christ. Emphasis on a type of Christ because he intercedes for the people. He's leading the people. But not the Christ. And you see Aaron, a type of Christ. But not the Christ. Joshua, a type of Christ. But not the Christ. All these topologies that we see in the Old Testament of Christ, they all point to the real Christ, like Jesus Christ. They all point to him. David, king of Israel, as a type of Christ, but not the Christ. And that's what I love so much when we see these human aspects, the humanity, and yes, beautiful people. But we see their humanity. Now you might say like, well, how could you say David's a beautiful person? Look what he did. Look what he did. Murder. Sexual sin. And you call him beautiful? Well, I call him beautiful. You know why? The aftermath of repentance. Not just that, you know, like when he was younger. Beautiful. The aftermath of repentance, beautiful. You see? Not beautiful like the sin. The aftermath of repentance, where sin is forgotten. We remember it because we're human, we're in these earth suits. But God, when you repent and you're right before the Lord, it's forgotten. As far as the east is from the west, it's forgotten. And that's what the Lord does with sin when you repent. And praise be to his name. That's the beauty of repentance. Look at Aaron, a type of Christ, but not the Christ. I mean, he fashioned the golden image, the golden calf. A type of Christ, you know, in the aftermath of repentance. Look at what the Lord, the Lord made him high priest. Topology of Christ as high priest in the order of Melchizedek. But you see disobedience in Moses. In verse 11. Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock. Not just once. Twice. More disobedience. So he strikes the rock. Disobedience. He does it again. More disobedience. You see? And this is unbeknownst to the people. The people have no idea. Because, you know... Aaron knows, you see, the people don't know, the people just, you know, look what happens, he says in verse 11, then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod and water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank. So the people, wow, we have, we have water to drink. Whoa, this is so beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We have water to drink and finally we can, you know, we're thirsty and finally we're not thirsty anymore because we can drink. And unbeknownst to the people, Moses was disobedient. But Moses knows and Aaron knows because the Lord told them both. You see, they both, Moses and Aaron, on their face before the Lord. Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock, not once, but twice. You see? Struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly. How beautiful is this? Oh, yes, we have water. Praise the Lord. And the congregation and their animals drank. Wow, wonderful. Praise the Lord. Okay, everything's fine and dandy. Let's go back to our business. No, 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 no. Yes, the people are drinking. But then the Lord says, Hey, Moses, hey, Aaron, come over here. Come over here. I want to talk to you. And then we see verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Because you did not believe me. Whoa. Because you did not believe me. Moses and Aaron, of all people. I could understand in the camp. I could understand these murmurs and, and, and complainers. But what about the murmuring and complaining that happens amongst leadership? Verse 10, remember, here now, you rebels, you bunch of disobedient people, here now, must we bring water for you out of this rock? And then, boom, one strike, disobedience. Boom, two strike, more disobedience. The water comes forth, the people drink, you know, they rejoice. But then the Lord says, hey, hey. Moses, Aaron, I want to talk to you. Because you did not believe me. To hallow me. Remember, hallow is to honor as holy. You did not believe me. To hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. And because you didn't do that, he says this in verse 12. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Wow. Yes, Moses, you're a leader. Yes, Aaron, you're a leader. But you're not going to bring the assembly into the land which I have given them. You're disobedient. I was not hallowed by your action. I was not hallowed. Remember in verse 8, speak to the rock. What did Moses do? Strike the rock. And when Moses, in verse 11, lifted his hand, Aaron should have stopped him. You know, Aaron, Moses, don't do that. Moses, 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 hold on, let's step aside really quick. Or even when Aaron's right next to him and he hears Moses, hear now, you rebels. Moses, Aaron would say, hold on, people, hold on, people. I'm going to just, you know, have a little conversation with Moses. Pull Moses to the side. Moses, you know. Are you okay? What's going on? That's not what the Lord told us. It, it looks like you're gonna, you know, you It looks like you're gonna strike the rock. I see you lift your hand, and I, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I. It looks like you're gonna strike the rock. And then, you know, Aaron could have helped Moses, but no. Aaron was silent. And in his silence, he was complicit. Remember, he's high priest. He has a responsibility as Kohanim. He has a responsibility. And his task, Aaron's task as Kohanim, does not exclude Moses. You see? An Old Testament example of to whom is given, much more is required. You see, and what a hardcore message for ministry leaders. Now, if you're an elder, or if you're a co-pastor, or you're a, a, a deacon, a lot of times what happens when you serve the Lord? Serve the Lord in that capacity. You don't serve man. If you're if you're if you're sitting in that capacity and you're serving man, don't do that. You serve the Lord. Now, men, women, children. Old people, young people, they might be the benefactors in in, in your ministry. But your service is unto the Lord. And a lot of times what we see in fellowships among co-pastors and elders and deacons, people who have responsibility in the fellowship, what you see is a lot of yes men. The pastor says, you know, we're going to do this. And the elders say, okay, we're going to do it. A pastor says, okay, we're going to have a worship's gathering and, and you, you elder, you uh, 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 other elder, you co-pastor, I want you to climb up, get ladders and climb up to the rafters, put glitter up there. And you worship team, when you give the signal, you hit a button over here and you know, the glitter's going to fall down and we're going to call that the Holy Spirit. And because you have a bunch of yes men, they say, okay, we're going to do that. The, the head pastor is speaking. But that's the lowercase h, the lowercase p, the low—you know lowercase head pastor. I don't like that term, head pastor. Me personally. I like, you know, lowercase p, you know. You know why? You know who the head pastor is of every church? His name is Jesus Christ. He's the head of every church. What does he say? If you're an elder, you cannot be a yes man. I mean, be a yes man to God, not to people. I don't care if the pastor, I don't care how long he's been in ministry either. Now, if you're an elder and the head pastor is female, a woman, whew, you're definitely a yes man and a yes woman. No, no disrespect to my sisters. But that's not how the that's not how the Lord put things into play. That's not what the Lord says. That's what you see in churches today. Look at the Episcopal church. Look at the Methodist church. Look at the Lutherans. That's what you see. But then where you see that, you also see apostasy. Because in those churches, global churches from uh, Redding, California. Big global church. Global outreach Where are the elders to say, hey, pastor, what are you talking about grave silking?" You know, pull the pastor to the side. In obedience to the head pastor, capital H, capital P, Jesus Christ, in obedience to the head pastor. The real head pastor. Pull that pastor aside, the carnal one. Hey, pastor, you know, I understand what you're saying, but how is that permissible when it's... An abomination before the Lord. You see. But because you have a a bunch of yes men, elders and co-pastors, they go along. They go along with these wayward pastors. And don't forget, pastors, elders can become wolves. And in this transition, you get the introduction of false doctrine, the introduction of false teaching, the introduction of these false ways. Such as the glitter, calling glitter holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Such as going grave soaking. Such as, and then fill in the blank. Whatever you see, you know, that doesn't align with Scripture. And you see a bunch of yes men. And complicit in the error. And also not without chastisement. They don't like to admit it but not without chastisement. Many, many ministry leaders, they like to get on a high horse. Oh, I'm the leader. I'm the head pastor. I'm the head elder. I'm the head whatever. I'm the head this. I have my special parking spot. I get to sit at the front. You know, everybody looks at me. Everybody acknowledge me. And look, they pop their collar and say, look how awesome I am. I'm the head pastor. But you know what? If that's you, get off the horse. Get off that high horse. And get on the donkey, the lowly donkey, the colt, even lower. Just like our Lord did. Riding on a donkey. The colt. You see, ministry leaders are not exempt from correction. And ministry leaders are under heavier correction and heavier judgments too. Because in ministry, without excuse. Because you should know, we should know, I should know. Oftentimes the form of correction is heavier because we're supposed to know. Now if you're a pastor, you say, well, I never knew, I never knew. Okay, hold on a second. Maybe a hiatus from ministry is in order. Maybe you need to question this calling that you had. Did you test the spirits, you know, five years ago when you entered this ministry? Did you test the spirits when you entered this ministry 10 years ago? Last week? No, I didn't. I just had this feeling and here I am doing it. Okay, well, you need to test the spirits because you don't know if it's Satan that was setting a trap for you. And the fact that you don't know these things, that reveals a lot. You're a novice. And that's very, very, very dangerous, both for you and those who listen to you. It's not just to have like a mean approach and be like, hey, you know, don't be a pastor anymore. Hey, don't be an elder anymore. It's not like to have that. It's to say, hey, look, step down. Step down, test the spirits. Make sure your heart is right with the Lord. You see? Now, this particular chapter, I'll reveal a little, a, a little like testimony. I love this chapter, but it's painful. Because for me, I have thorns in my side, but I also have a big fat thorn in my mouth. And you know what that is? It's called the tongue. This little rudder, this little tiny rudder. That's why a lot of times when I teach, people have like complained to me before, you know, can you teach just for a little bit? Or when you teach, can you speed it up? You know, speed up the tempo because you teach too slow. You talk too slow. Well, a lot of times I talk slow. Because I'm either exhausted, like super, like just straight up exhausted. Ex- a lot of times I talk slow just out of pure exhaustion. But a lot of times I talk slow because I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to hurt you. I don't know who's listening. But even still, I don't want to hurt you. I want the Lord to be hallowed in our studies. And I have been damaged by the world. I have been calloused by the world. And that's not to give an excuse. You know, how a lot of times people say, oh, you know, I, I, I uh, uh, uh I, I did this. I became a crack addict because my dad never played football with me. He never took me out, out back and, 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 tossed the old football around and tossed the old pigskin around or played catch with me. And they blame it on their daddy issues i don't want to play that game and say like you know i'm callous by the world because we have to accept the truth we have to accept fat fact and align to him yield to the lord yield to the truth of his word but even still i i want to be very measured in how i speak so sometimes it's you know when you hear me speak slow it's because out of super duper exhaustion or sometimes it's super duper measurement, like exercising self-control, which is a fruit of the spirit. I can't say this now. If I was like, when we talk about sexual things, if I was with a group of men and men only, and nobody's recording, <laughs> I'd probably just let it go. I'd probably just cut loose. Not, I wouldn't cuss and be stupid. Uh, you know I would not to be carnal, but this as this world gets darker and darker and darker and darker, I'm kind of thankful because in this state of darkness the the, the sharpness of my tongue is more palatable to a carnal people, you know if it were like nineteen ten you know. It, I I, you know, I don't know what I do, you know, because it's like, wow, you know, I can't speak like this to a 1910 generation. Everybody's so like, you know, soft. But the culture that we live in today, it's, I like it. Not for the sake of being in this culture, but because I'm able to speak in a certain manner. Look at the TV programs. Look at the, you know, one time there was, a, 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 you know, somebody says, oh, I don't like how you speak this. My kids are here. And the kids are like, you know, teenagers. My kids are here. I don't like how you speak like this. I said, okay, okay. Let me, you know, I'll pray about it. I'm sorry you feel that way, but let me pray. And then I go visit them. Visit them in the house. They're watching all these dirty movies. Like right there, like a, like a family, a family event. Like, you know, every, dirty movies, dirty shows. All these things, a lot of like sex everywhere, and it's like what? You 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 have a problem with what we study in the Bible and you open up this stuff in your home? You see, there's that disconnect. But that's I have thorns in my side, but I have a big fat one in my mouth. And it's this tongue. This little rudder. It's little rudder as 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 brother James says, this little tiny rudder. I have to be very careful, very measured, exercise self-control. Because I know that there are, you know, females listening. I know that there are, you know, males listening. Sometimes beta males listening. I know that there are children listening. Sometimes little tiny children, sometimes teenagers. But sometimes teenagers are, they, they you know... They know what's up. They know what's going on in the world. I mean, they're like in the thick of it. They go to school. They have their friends. They have this. They have that. They know sex, drugs, rock and roll is all over the place. But even still, I have to be very careful. But with a group of men and, you know, everybody put their cell phones down, you know, nobody recording. I'd let loose. I'd cut loose. Because men need to hear these things. And I wouldn't cut loose to, you know, hurt anybody. I wouldn't cut loose to, uh, you know, like I wouldn't start cussing. It wouldn't be anything violent, nothing like that. But just to lay it down. Lay it down. This is what the Bible says. You know, what's up, man? And I myself am not without chastisement. This is where all of us were in the same boat. But I understand in the audience you have, you know, different kinds of people from all different walks of life, different kinds of backgrounds. Some people haven't been exposed to certain things and so it's like an unknown to them. And it's a burden. It's a thorn. Not in my side, in my mouth. And it's called my tongue. And I love chapter 20. But it also terrifies me because look at what the Lord says to Moses. The Lord, Moses and Aaron just had intimacy with the Lord. I'm at verse 6. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Everything's like, oh, I love this so much because they're just saying bye-bye to the people. Bye-bye. And they make their way to the tabernacle of meeting not just they're not just standing there they don't just take a seat no they fall on their faces before the lord it's like whoa i love this so much and the glory of the lord appeared like whoa i love this the lord gives them instruction oh beautiful then verse 10 here now you rebels Whoa, whoa 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 moses what's happening here verse 11 moses lifted his hand moses don't do it and then struck the rock moses no and then not just once He does it again, lifts up his hand, and then, boom, strikes the rock again. (gasps) You see? Disobedience. Moses. And Aaron is without excuse. Aaron is now complicit because of his silence. If you're a ministry leader, pastor, elder, teacher, youth leader, worship leader, let chapter 20, specifically verse 12, terrify you. Let it terrify you as it terrifies me and it scares me because it helps me in my fear of the Lord. It helps me. That's what's so beautiful about certain passages. I mean, there are, I shouldn't say certain passages, all passages, because in life, you're going to have all kinds of different ups and downs, ebbs and flows, different experiences. One verse is going to minister to you today and then minister to you in a totally different way in five years. Or one verse might not minister to you that much today, but in five years, it will hit you right in your heart. It will impact you right in your heart. Because that for that particular moment in time, for that particular situation you're in, Boom. The word is right there. One little verse. Maybe a chapter. Maybe several verses. Maybe a book. Because the word of God is alive. The word became flesh. And he desires intimacy with you. But if you're a ministry leader, let verse 12 scare you. Allow it to scare you. Because it scares me straight up. This is scary. Remember, Moses called to lead the people out of Egypt. And when the Lord in Exodus 33, the Lord says, "Okay, Moses, you take the people, go to the land of milk and honey, and I'll meet you there. But I'm not going to go with you because I'm going to kill you. And Moses intercedes for the people. And then the Lord, you know, says, "Okay, I'll go with you, but not without sacrifice, not without blood. And now, as a result of disobedience, the one who interceded for the people is now restricted. And he's not alone. Aaron too. You see? Why? Because they did not believe the Lord and they did not hallow the Lord in the eyes of the children of Israel. You see? What a huge responsibility for these leaders And what a responsibility for leaders today. Church leaders, not worldly leaders, not presidents, mayors. That's the world. You know, Corinth is Corinth. That's the world. I'm talking about the church. For pastors, elders, Bible teachers, youth leaders, worship teams. It's hardcore, this is major. An Old Testament example of to whom is given, much more is required. verse 13, this was the water of Meribah. Meribah translates in the Hebrew as place of strife. Place of strife. Because the children of Israel contended with the Lord and Moses and Aaron included. You see? The children of Israel contended with the Lord. All the camp, all the camp, Moses and Aaron included, and he was hallowed among them. Now, what I love so much about verse 13, the Lord will be hallowed. The Lord will be hallowed. Remember, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You and me today, we do it willingly. And sometimes in the camp of the church, in the camp of new covenant believers, you don't see him being hallowed. And he'll journey however long it takes. He'll journey with us to get us to a point where we then hallow him once again and we hallow him more and more and more and more and more for us as Christians in the camp of of the church, an 11-day journey can easily be 40 years, easily, you see, as much as we look at these passages in numbers, it's like, oh my goodness, Israel was afraid, and they they didn't want to go into the land of Canaan, and now they have to, their 11-day journey became 40 years, oh my goodness, that's too bad for them. Well, close our Bible, have dinner, close our Bible, eat breakfast, close our Bible, you know, uh, watch TV, close our Bible, do whatever, without realizing that, wow, Israel was afraid and, you know, they feared man instead of fearing the Lord. And their 11-day journey became 40 years, closing your Bible, praying, closing your eyes, praying, and then the Holy Spirit to prick at your heart. Hey, does this sound familiar? Hey, does this ring a bell? And then the Holy Spirit brings that into memory. How come you were afraid? You see, that's how He works. And then we learn and understand the beauty of the fear of the Lord, not the fear of man, but the fear of the Lord. And in this realization, there's going to be repentance. In this realization and through repentance and by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what happens? Deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper intimacy with Him. And He, the name of the Lord, is hallowed more and more and more and more. That's what happens. If you have eyes and if you have ears to hear and eyes to see, That's what happens. If you don't have eyes to see and ears to hear, you'll close your Bible and be like, well, okay, that's too bad for Israel. You know, what's for dinner? That's too bad for Israel. You know, uh, let's go out to eat. Let's get something to eat. That's too bad for Israel. I'm going to watch TV. I'm going to watch a movie. But when you have eyes to see and ears to hear, these things of Holy Scripture, the Word became flesh. He teaches us. He shows us. He molds us. A people of the circumcision, not in accordance to the law, but in accordance to the law of faith. What we learned about circumcision from the book of Romans. You see? Christianity is the only way where females, my beautiful sisters in Christ, young and old, it's the only way where you can be circumcised. Circumcised. Now, to a carnal person, if you're carnal and you're listening, you're like, what? No, this guy's crazy. He's talking about a female being circumcised. You don't get it. You don't have eyes to see. You don't have ears to hear. You see? Oh, God has condemned me. No. God gave his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You must believe in Jesus Christ. Oh, but this Calvinist told me that, you know, I'm, I'm going to burn in hell. Well, that's a Calvinist. He needs to read his Bible. She needs to read her Bible. Oh, but this Reformed Theory person told me that, you know, I'm predestined to hell. I'm predestined to, to burn in hell. Well, they need to read their Bible. They call it Reformed Theology, but it's Reformed Theory. They need to read their Bible. If you're not a believer, believe. Believe and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. For the remission of sins. And be born again. And if you're female. then you hear me say. Hey you too can be circumcised. You're like what? I, I don't get it. Okay. Well listen to our studies through Romans. Chapter 2. Chapter 3. Chapter 4. The law of faith. And circumcision. And then you'll get it. You'll understand. And you'll also rejoice. Because you no longer have carnal eyes and carnal ears. Now you can understand. And then what happens? We move on to perfection. You see? We keep along in our journey. Running our race. Keeping our eyes on the prize. Zion. Paradise. And so look what happens here in verse 14. Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel. Now, this is interesting. Thus says your brother Israel. You know, I, I don't get it. So remember, Israel was Jacob before the Lord changed his name. Remember the, the uh, 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 Jacob, how he would always say, Oh, the God of my fathers, the God of my fathers, the God of my fathers. That's how he would always acknowledge the Lord, the God of my fathers, the God of my fathers. And then he wrestled with the Lord. And the Lord, you know, it was like a match all day long. And after the fight, the Lord says, okay, you know, your name is no longer Jacob. It is now Israel, governed by God. But don't forget, before the name change, Israel was Jacob. But Jacob also had a brother. His name was Esau. And Esau was the hairy baby in Genesis 25. Remember, we studied that. The hairy baby in verse in Genesis 25, but then in Genesis 36, verse 43, we see that Esau is the father of the Edomites. And that's what we see here in chapter 20, verse 14 of the book of Numbers. In verse 14, thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that has befallen us. How our fathers went down to Egypt and how we dwelt in Egypt a long time and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers, and we cried out to the Lord. He heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us out of Egypt, brought us up out of Egypt. Now, anytime you see angel capitalized, I read out of the New King James Version, but any time you see angel capitalized, more than likely, more than like maybe 78% of the time, maybe 82% of the time. That's theophany, Christophany in the Old Testament, and you know, Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Sometimes you see the capitalization there, but you read all these, you know, correlating scriptures, text, context, and co-text, the midrashic way, and you see that, and it's like, well, um, they, they say that it's a Christophany, but it's, it could be an angel too. But, of the time, maybe 82% of the time, you'll see Christophany, a theophany of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. In verse 16, when he cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now, here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. In verse 17, please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through your through fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from wells. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right, to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. I love this so much. I love this because you see in Israel the desire to live peaceably. The desire to live peaceably with the Edomites. You know, like, hey, we're not going to... We're not going to stir any beef. We're not. We're just gonna. We're just passing through. That's all we're doing. That's all. We're just passing through your lands. That's it. And you know we will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. And what's so beautiful about this is that it reminds me of the proverbs. Turn with me really quick to Proverbs chapter four, Proverbs four, and in Proverbs four verse twenty. This is what we read. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and let all your ways be established. Do not do not turn to the left or to the right. Remove your foot from evil. I love this so much. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. Don't look left. Don't look right. We're just passing through. That's for you. That's for me. That's what we see in Israel right now in our study in Numbers 20. There was one time my wife and I we were in San Francisco, and we're in San Francisco, and I don't like to ask for directions. You know, I don't know if it's, it's I I didn't ask for directions. She wanted to, and I said oh, I got this, I got this. And so we're at this top of the and the hills in Frisco are crazy. And so we're at the top of this hill, and I'm like, okay, let's go down over here. We're trying to get to a delicatessen, and so we went down this hill. Except I I, I, I zigged instead of zagged. You know, I went the wrong way. And when we got to the bottom of the hill, it was like the sex district. We were like in the straight up sex district. And it you know, it it was daytime, but still a sex district. And there's all the, the buildings over here, there's this store over here, this shop over here, the posters over here, posters over there. And it was so beautiful. You know what my wife did? She took point. She took point. She gets in front of me and she said, Just hold my just hold my hand. And she takes point. Yes, we, we got into it like, you know, in a bad situation. And she takes point. She gets in front of me. She just says, hold my hand. Hold my hand. And just, you know, keep your eyes on my feet. And she takes point. And, you know, I'm not going to argue, you know, or anything like that. I understand, like, the, the precarious situation that we're in. She takes point, hold my hand, and she starts walking. How beautiful is that to have, you know, she's like looking out for my soul. You see? And here we are walking through the... The sex district, you know. Just passing through. We're not stirring any beef. We're not going to go any stores, you know. I'm just looking at the New Balance shoes that my wife is wearing. That's it. And I'm just following. I'm not going to look to the left. I'm not going to look to the right. And you know what? My wife took point. Because there's some nasty things there. How beautiful is that? You see? Now, if I were stupid, you know, if I were stupid or a Calvinist or reformed theory person, oh, wife, submit to me. Oh, wife, submit to me. How dare you get in front of me and lead me? No, she took point. She said, hold my hand. Keep your eyes on my feet. And so there I was. She was walking through, walking through the sex district, just passing through. So beautiful, just like we see here in Proverbs, Proverbs four in like, you know, like in, in uh, 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 verse 25, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids eyelids look right before you ponder the path of your feet and let your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. And I love this verse so much, but it also reminds me of when my wife took point. You see? A helper. Let's go back to Numbers. Numbers 20. And that's what you see in the camp of Israel. You know, you you, you see here in verse 17, we will not turn to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. We're just passing through. In verse 18, then Edom said to him, you shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. I wonder at this point, at this point, if the assembly of Israel, if they had remorse for Canaan, man, we should have just went to Canaan. Yeah, those guys were big, but we should have feared the Lord instead of fearing man, because the Lord directed us to go there. Israel is reaping what they have sown. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. The Lord reacted to their fear of man. And in their fear of man, the Lord's reaction, yes, this 11-day journey becomes 40 years. And now they slowly have to learn. Reap what they have sown. You see, verse 19. So the children of Israel said to him, we will go by the highway. Uh, and, and if I or my li- livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through. Let me only, only pass through on foot, nothing more. Then he said, "You shall not pass through." So Edom came out against them with many men and with a strong hand, great. Do you see what's happening? Wonderful, great. And I say that, like, you know, not sarcastically, but oh man, like, you see Israel reaping what they have sown because they had they were fearful of the Canaanites do you remember we studied that but do you see how in our own walks how an improper improperly placed fear of men how it begets different things in leading up to Reaping what we have sown. And that's what happens in our own walks with the Lord. When 11 days turns into 40 years. And no matter how that happens, in what manner that happens, whatever way, shape, or form of disobedience that happens. In our own walks with the Lord, in my journey with the Lord, in your journey with the Lord, we still have to learn. I mean, I pray that we learn. Just like in class, you know, I wasn't like a straight A student. I had some friends that were straight A students. But the majority of my friends were like D students, maybe C students. I was like a C student, maybe an occasional A, a couple Bs. But, you know, right around the middle. Academically, I was stupid. Yeah, I didn't want to do the homework. I wanted to get out of school. I considered school like prison. I like to go to school to be with my friends, but then I had to turn in the homework. I didn't like to do the homework. I didn't want to do it. You see, so, you know, we still learn, but even in learning, some people are A students, some people are F students, some people are D students, and then they flunk out. The natural world testifies of these things. But the same thing applies in the church. Some people are babies, but they like to be babies. Spiritually speaking. And then some people, they grow and matriculate, but then they get deceived by Satan. They don't test the spirits. They enter into a ministry and Satan's a fisherman too. And then they get sucked into a carnal, evil lifestyle. Remember Paul in in First uh, 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 Corinthians seven. Do not be deceived. What happens? We deceive ourselves. You see. And so let's go. Let's see what's happening here. In verse twenty one, thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through the, through the, his territory. So Israel turned away from him now you see like okay so you say like well why did israel go to fight because israel didn't fight the canaanites you think they'd fight now the edomites well when did the lord say go to war go fight against the edomites when did the lord say that you see and that's what's so beautiful of chastisement because moses is on the receiving end of chastisement. Do you remember the Lord says, okay, you're not going to lead these people to the, to the promised land. It's not you, Moses. It was you, but because you your disbelief and disobedience and because you didn't hallow me, and you too, Aaron, you were complicit. In your silence, you were complicit. No more promised land. And because of that sting of chastisement, because of that sting of rebuke from the Lord. Moses, he's not going to say, okay, we're going to go to war with the Edomites. Because the Lord never said that. You see? So when the Lord says, Moses, speak to the rock, and Moses strikes the rock, it's like that extra assurance, okay, I need to do whatever the Lord says. I need to be obedient to his word. And that's what's so beautiful about chastisement. That's what's so beautiful about chastisement. We see an Old Testament example of the very thing we read in Hebrews 12. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Do you think Moses and Aaron were full of joy when the Lord tells them you can't go to the promised land? No way. Probably full of sorrow. But they were chastened nonetheless. But then it says, but painful, nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We see with new covenant eyes, with spiritual eyes, with eyes to see and ears to hear, you see in the Old Testament, this new covenant truth happening. The chastisement of Moses, the chastisement of Aaron. You see their training. You see a little picture of their training session that the Lord is giving them. You see? And it never had to be this way. There was a result. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. It's their fear of the Canaanites. It never had to be this way. Yes, they're going to be in the wilderness for 40 years, but initially it was just 11 days. It could have been a piece of cake. But no, they're reaping what was sown, what they have sown, What they had sown, they're reaping now. The same way we have to reap what we have sown. The same way I have to reap what I have sown. The same way you have to reap what you have sown. Look what happens here in verse 22. Now the children of Israel, the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the border of the land of Edom, saying... Aaron shall be gathered to his people. He's speaking about his death. Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel, because you rebelled. You rebelled. Do you remember Moses? And when when, when he says to the people in in, in, in verse 10, hear now, you rebels. Hear now, you rebels. And the Lord is acknowledging Aaron. No. And Moses, you guys were the rebels. You guys rebelled. You calling the people rebels and you rebelled. And he shall not enter, in verse 24, he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel because you rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. At the water of Meribah. Remember, Meribah, a place of strife. Take Aaron. Take Aaron and Eleazar, his son. now you see Eleazar's prior task that he had in, 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 in the tabernacle, his prior task, they all prepared him now. they prepared him for what's happening right now as the next generation of righteousness. Aaron's about ready to die. Eleazar to fill in the place, fill in the gap. There's, if Aaron dies, there's no more high priest. But do you remember the blueprints that the Lord gave Moses long ago? And in these blueprints, the Lord made provisions for the next generation of righteousness. And here we see Eleazar. you're up. Eleazar. you're up. And I don't mean to say it like, you know, in, in terms like to cheapen it by, by saying it like that. But Eleazar, you're up. Don't forget, Aaron had two other sons that were consumed by fire, burned by fire because they offered strange fire to the Lord. Even the Kohanim are not without chastisement. The priesthood, not without chastisement. If you're a pastor, elder, ministry leader, youth leader, worship team, whatever, don't think that you're high and mighty because of your role. Remember, you're still a servant. Servant of the Lord. And yes, people are benefactors, but you still serve the Lord. People say, oh, I'm in ministry because I want to serve people. Well, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord 100%. And the Lord might say, okay, in serving me, serve the people. Or you serve me, and in so doing, you know, you're going to bless the people. You're going to do this. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And not that you are going to bless the people. Because Christ is in you. Because you wear Christ as a robe. Remember? Uh, The blood of goats. The blood of lambs. The blood of oxen. The blood of the heifer. All these sacrifices. A typology of Jesus Christ. And because that's the robe you wear. And because He's in you. Because of His blood. Less of you and more of Him. It's not you blessing the people. It's the Lord through you that's blessing the people. And all you're doing is being obedient to Jesus Christ. People flip it around. Oh, I want to serve the people. 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 If that's you, if you're in ministry and you do that, you might do it for you know a couple months, a couple years, maybe even 10 years. But you're going to poop out. You're going to get tired. You're going to be super tired. And then what happens? You're going to change. Look at the Lutherans. Look at the Episcopals. Look at the Methodists. Doctrinally speaking, they're in crazy town. Doctrinally speaking, straight up crazy town. But you look at the very beginning, the inception. i Luther could have gone further. I mean, he 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 uh, uh, studied a lot of the New Testament. I, You know, if I could go back in time, I'd say, Luther, you did good with the New Testament, but, you know, do that with the Old Testament. You did all right with the New Testament, and, you know, how the Lord used you, praise be to his name. But Luther, do that to the Old Testament and keep reading. That's blasphemous to the Lutherans. But look, just the... Look at the fruit. Proof is in the pudding. It's fruit pudding. So look what happens here in verse 24. For the next generation of righteousness in verse 25. Take Aaron and Eleazar, his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor. And strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar, his son. Oh my goodness, what's happening here? Aaron's an old man. Aaron's an old man. Miriam is dead and Aaron's about ready to die strip him of his garments no longer the high priest Eleazar you're up you see all this time prior being trained up little tasks turned into big tasks now a major task high priest For Aaron shall be gathered to his people and die there. So Aaron's at the end of his road. And the end of the road comes to everybody. It's going to come to you. It's going to come to me. It comes to everybody. It's appointed for man to die once and then judgment. But what does the Bible tell us? Finish well. Run your race. Lay aside those things which so easily ensnare you. Keep your eyes on the prize. Just as we studied on Sunday. I'll read it again. I'm going there right now. First Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 25, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached the, to others, I myself should become disqualified. You see, Paul acknowledges not only his calling, but also this aspect of Whoa, even Paul can be adokimos, which is to be rejected, reprobate, just as we studied. Paul has to count the cost, and he did count the cost. Paul's not without chastisement. You say, whoa, what are you talking about? Remember, he has thorns in his side. I just happen to have one in my mouth. You see, Moses, he's not excluded from chastisement. Aaron, he's not excluded from chastisement. He's being disrobed. Numbers 20, verse 26, strip Aaron of his garments. Aaron, you are no longer high priest. Now, granted, he's at the end of the road, but we're all going to come to the end of the road you are i don't care how young you are i don't care how old you are i mean if you're old i mean i care that you know i don't want to sound cold-hearted but run well You're, you're at the finish line almost don't stop keep running oh i'm old i'm in a wheelchair i can't walk anymore i can't run anymore that's nice keep running spiritually speaking Oh, I'm young, I'm young. What are you talking about, death? I'm going to live forever. Okay, that's nice. Keep running. That's, that's the way of the Christian. We run our race. And thus we fight. You see? Look what happens here in verse 27. In closing, Numbers 20. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded. And they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. So, death is imminent for, for Aaron. Death is imminent. And so, we see here Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there on the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. Now, this is so beautiful because, you know, it's like you have the next high priest. The next high priest. And not just that, but put yourself in Eliezer's shoes or his sandals. Put yourself in Eliezer's sandals. Maybe he's scared. Maybe he's freaked out. Oh my goodness, I can't do this. My dad was the high priest. I can't do this. Now what am I going to do? I mean, can Eliezer go home? And, you know, his mom say, hey, Eliezer, don't be afraid. Just do like that. Do like, do like dad did. Eliezer, do like dad did. Now, if you're a dad, if you're a dad, can your wife say to your kids, do like dad? I mean, if your wife says to your kids, do like dad and that is harmful to them, that should shout to you. But if your wife can say to your kids, do like Dad, and it is beautiful to them, like it's safe for them, if they do like you, rejoice. You see, and moms too. If a dad can say to the kids, hey, do like Mama, you know, you have a kid who's scared. You have a kid who's freaked out. You know, hey, Dad, what do I do? What do I do, Pops? Eh, just do like mom. And then the daughter, oh, oh, you're right. The son, you're right. Now, if you're a mom, and if your kid does like you, and it's safe for them, praise be to the Lord, rejoice. But if they do like you, and it's harmful to them, you better repent. Same for dads. If the kids do like you, and it's harmful for them, you better repent and get your heart right with the Lord. Because look at Eleazar, the next generation of righteousness, the next high priest. Eleazar, you're up. But the same could be said of your kids. Son, daughter, young, old, I don't care. Your kid might leave when he's 17 years old. Your kid might leave, if you're liberal, your kid might leave when he's 40 years old but they're going to leave. And if they don't leave, you're going to die. The next generation of righteousness. And then they're going to have kids. I mean, if the Lord doesn't tarry, I mean, you know, I, I believe, I firmly believe, very strongly believe that we're a last days church, a last days generation. But the Lord could tarry. Death happens to us all. Death is coming. It's appointed for man to die once. And then the judgment. Now, since it's appointed for men to die once, for some, I, I love that so much because that flies in the face of Calvinism and for the Reformed theory people. Because oh, God predestines people to hell. Well, it's appointed for man to die once. There, that just that just closes the door, closes the door completely, slams the door shut on Calvinism slams the door shut on reform theory. Because if God predestines people to hell, and it's appointed for man to die once, then what about second death? Is it appointed for man to die twice? You see, no. It's appointed for man to die once, and then the judgment. Now, what is the judgment? It could be for some, the second death it could be for others, life and life everlasting. Calvinism can't stand when you read the word of the Word of God. Reform theory does not stand when you read the Word of God. It's appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. what is the judgment? The judgment could lead to a second death. but if you're like in hospice care. I don't know who's listening, but you might know somebody in hospice or maybe you're in hospice. And it's appointed for you to die. The doctors tell you, hey, you know, death is imminent. You're going to die and, you know, you have less than a week to live. And your whole entire life, you've just been a hardcore, straight up heathen. Consider yourself blessed. Because at the end of your road, you can receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You repent and you believe and you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And yes, it's appointed for you to die once, the same way it is for me and all who believe in this flesh. But there's no second death. Paradise, my friend. Paradise, my brother. Paradise, my sister. You see? Put yourself in Eliezer's shoes. Imagine, I don't know, maybe he's freaked out. Maybe he's not freaked out. But I have a sense that he's freaked out. Maybe not in the title, but maybe even in the calling. Maybe he knew, okay, I know that this day is going to come, but here it is. It's happening today. Here, the garment is yours, Eliezer. If you teach the Bible, every time you open up the word, you should be terrified. You should be terrified. Because you're handling something very holy, and the Lord must be hallowed. You can't crack your jokes, you can't I mean, you see that all the time when you watch Tricking Believers nightly. If you watch it. You watch TBN. You see the tricking believers nightly and you watch these people. They say their jokes and they say all these things and people laugh. But is the Lord hallowed? Are you a vessel by which the Lord is hallowed? Oh, but look, he's got a big congregation. Look, she teaches to a big congregation. That's nice. It's unbiblical. You see? Why do you say it's unbiblical? Well, let's look what the Bible says. Let's study the Bible. Let's be Bereans together. In verse 29, in closing Now, when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron 30 days. How? It's like, whoa. Now, a lot of death, we're seeing death in Miriam is dead, Aaron is dead, and we're going to see a lot of death happen. Because remember, that first generation, they're going to die in the wilderness. But you know what happens? Life in the next generation as they pass through the promised land. The next generation, you see? Let it ring true for us, a people of the way. The next generation of righteousness, paving the way for them. You see? As we study the Word, as we're Bereans, as we honor the Lord, as we make the Lord hallowed. And even still, through it, not without chastisement. God bless you guys. I love you guys.